This is an episode of Criminal Minds. This is one of the best episodes of Criminal Minds. If you want to talk about the highs and lows, the epic highs and lows of Criminal Minds football, this is up there. This is for sure up there. I, without a doubt, love this episode. It's a really good episode. It's just really fucking good. Sometimes there's just episodes that come along and you're like, oh, this is the best episode of TV of all time. And then you look and you're like, oh, it's Criminal Minds season four, episode three. Got it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what it is. There's nothing wrong with this episode. No. Nothing. Not a single thing. We're doing this new thing now, guys, that we've just decided. And we're going to rate at the beginning for like our knee jerk rating. And then we'll rate again after we've discussed it because sometimes we love it more or hate it more after discussing it. So I think it'll be fun. Right now, I'm at an 11 out of 10. I can't. Stress I'm at a 10 out of 10. It's perfect yeah. in every way. Perfect yeah, in every way. Nothing exactly. Wrong with it. Yeah. How am I going to. What can I can I ask? Yeah. Do you think our ratings for this episode are going to change? Do you have some new info that's going to make me change my mind about how good this episode is? Because there are some episodes where I'm like, yeah, you can sway me on this episode. But minimal loss. Oh, no. All the information I have is just like, and this is what they're referencing here. And this is what they're referencing here. And like, it's all just like every choice they make in this episode is Good. good. <laughs> it's just a good episode. I'll sway you to the 11 out of 10 team with me. <laughs> okay, yeah, so you're going to sway me higher, actually. You're going to make me. <laughs> you sway me high. <laughs> you're going to get me. You're going you're gonna to pull me up with you to the 11 out of 10s. I will pull you up. But first, I'm going to pull you through our theme song. And. Hi, listeners. Welcome to Wheels Up, a Criminal Minds podcast. I'm James. And I'm B. And this week, I am delighted to say that we are talking about season four, episode three, Minimal Loss. Bow, bow, bow. Uh, <laughs> directed by uh, Felix Alaka and written by Andrew Wilder. Oh, has Andrew written anything we know? Um, Let's see here. He's been a story editor and he also wrote... what what is it in season four he wrote two episodes Mm -hmm. they are two of my least favorite episodes of the season what episodes are they what the answer is elephant's memory and lucky Uh. and then in this season he wrote minimal loss normal and omnivore the whole range the jump he has the range the jump in quality (laughs) to season four andrew wilder episodes is insane but also Felix Alaka yes. also directed, he's directed a few episodes mm-hmm. basically every every season of yeah, Criminal yeah, Minds yeah. up till 11. What season one episode did he direct? Derailed. He did direct Derailed. <laughs> I knew it. The only one we liked, kind of. The only one that you liked, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's hop right into it. Let's just jump into it, because there's a lot with this episode. God, it's so good. Okay. So, okay. But we do start with this $5 news screen 
KQMI. They gave their editors two bucks in a dream and they were like, go get it. It is truly a PowerPoint slide. As if it is a screen of a news report, whatever. We're in La Plata County, Colorado at the Separatarian Ranch standoff. And I'll talk about this name, the Separatarians. Mm-hmm. I spelled it Separatatrion. <laughs> I was like, that's too many letters. I'll talk, about the, I'll talk about the name in just a second. So okay. they're saying that they're waiting to hear the fate of the women, children, and FBI agents inside. And then there's a big explosion. Uh-oh. 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 What FBI agents? What children? Uh-oh. Cool. Cut to three days earlier. <laughs> there's a car driving through the Colorado countryside. And... You hear a phone call play that's like, help us. He sleeps in my bed every night. I'm only 15. Like, he does it with other people. Careful. Emily and Reed and a woman, Nancy, are in a car. And the woman says they believe that the the cult leader they're talking about is Benjamin Cyrus. This is going to be our first education break. Already? Already. Already? Yeah. And I'll tell you why. The name okay. Benjamin Cyrus, amazing choice. Amazing okay. choice, okay? So played by the absolute powerhouse of Luke Perry. May he rest in peace. 2019. <laughs> Fucking phenomenal actor and so great in this episode. So great in this episode. So there's kind of two things. One, okay. there was a cult leader in the late 1800s named Cyrus Reed Teed. Terrible name. Who changed his name to Koresh. And he like believed in hollow earth. And he started a church called the Koreshian Unity. Which was a commune in Florida. And then he died in 1908. And the community dissolved. So that's the first. Wait, is it also. I'll get there. Okay. So first we have that. The second naming thing here is. We have David Koresh who was the leader of the Branch Davidians who were involved in the Waco siege, right? So Mm -hmm. David Koresh is called the Branch Davidians because they branched off of the Seventh-day Adventists. What is Criminal Minds' group called? The Separatarians because they separated, branched off, separated they picked the name okay. based on that first off okay fair yeah, first clever uh-huh. little okay. first clever you little know thing. they were proud of themselves in the writer's room for that one and i'm proud of them too i the second i saw it i was like hell yeah <laughs> hell yeah okay so david yeah. koresh you know he taught like an apocalyptic version of the bible the whole thing of like eventually the armies of the devil will come fight us and we have to stand our ground just like um benjamin cyrus the original leader though of the Branch Davidians was Benjamin Roden. Benjamin oh. Cyrus. Okay? Damn. And you know what Koresh is? Koresh is the biblical name of Cyrus the Great, a Persian king who freed the Jews in during Babylon times. So the fact that his name is Benjamin Cyrus, it's like, yeah, amazing. They really... Pulled out their fucking Wikipedia deep dives for this, huh? Yeah. Yeah. He's named Cyrus because of Koresh. And then he's named Benjamin because of Benjamin Roden, the original leader 
of the Branch Davidians. That's good. It's good, right? And so David Koresh, actually, the way that Benjamin Cyrus took over the Separatarians is kind of exactly the same as how David Koresh took over Mount Carmel. Hi, everyone. Editing James here. I just wanted to come in and say that I explained this very poorly in the original recording. So I wanted to give you guys a kind of a clearer timeline explanation of all this cult stuff. So first, we have the religion Millerism, based on a man named Miller, who believed that the second coming of Christ would be between 1843 and 1844. It doesn't happen. They call it the Great Disappointment. People separate and they create the Seventh-day Adventists, which is different from regular Protestant religions because they have their Sabbath on Saturdays, that's the Seventh-day Adventists. They also believe the Second Coming is imminent, but they don't have a specific date the way that Millerism did. It's established in 1863, about 20 years after the failed prediction. Next, we have the Shepherd's Rod, or Davidians, which are a part of the Seventh-day Adventists, but they leave and they create their own thing. So in 1929, Victor Hotef creates the shepherd's rod. He's the shepherd, the prophet, etc. So in 1930, he gets excommunicated from the Seventh-day Adventists. That's fine for him. Because in 1942, he creates the Davidian Seventh-day Adventists, who have their peak in the 1950s at the Mount Carmel Center near Waco. The Mount Carmel Center has a school, a hospital, living quarters, farming, printing, a chapel, etc., etc. But then, in 1955, Hotef dies, and his widow, Florence, takes over, which is very controversial. She declares that April 22nd, 1959, is going to be the second coming of Christ. A man named Benjamin Roden is like, that's not true. I'm a prophet, and I know that you're lying. And she doesn't really pay many minds. But then a couple of months before her second coming prediction would happen, he separates. And in 1959, he creates the Branch Davidians. There's also another group that leaves in 1962. It's not important. The coming of Christ doesn't happen. Sorry. But the group continues on until March 1st, 1962, when Florence leaves Mount Carmel. She takes 50k, sorry, she takes 5k and her most loyal people, she leaves. Most of the Mount Carmel land goes to a ranch, but the Branch Davidians keep 77 acres. They buy 77 acres. And they live there. They do their stuff. Benjamin Roden, he eventually dies, and his wife, Lois, takes over leadership. In 1981, David Koresh joins the Branch Davidians. He studies under Lois, etc. But by 1983, Koresh has his own organization, also named the Branch Davidians. They're actually named like the Branch Davidian, Branch Davidian, Seventh-day Adventist. It's so dumb. They're living somewhere else, etc. But then Lois dies. And now Lois and Benjamin's son, George, is in charge of Mount Carmel. Koresh shows up, has a shootout, and takes over Mount Carmel. That's why he's there during Waco. So Benjamin Roden was in charge, created it. David Koresh tried to take over, left, got kicked out and left, and then came back with guns and forced Benjamin Roden to leave and took over. So like exactly the same as Benjamin Cyrus. And 
David Koresh was also accused of polygamy and child sexual abuse, etc. And David Koresh's son is named Cyrus. So naming wow. yeah, so naming him Benjamin Cyrus, and then they gave him David Koresh's like exact backstory. <laughs> I, I love not it. Not subtle with this one. No, not subtle at all, and I love it. I love it. I stand it. Good for them. Okay. Back in the car. They're talking about how it's a church. Reed's hair is like slicked back, really cool old episode. I love it. Great. So Nancy, the woman, is saying, you know, there are rumors of polygamy. (laughs) Nancy, the woman with them, says there are rumors of polygamy and forced marriage. And they think the phone call came from a girl named Jessica, who's 15 and in there. And Nancy said that she just went ahead and negotiated interviews with all the kids, just in case it was like another kid. So Emily hands her gun and her badge back to Reed, presumably to leave in the car. And then she takes these two IDs. One of them's a fake <laughs> Colorado driver's license with a picture clearly taken in season two. And then she has a like state ID, which is like a much more recent picture. And I literally paused it and was like, Girl, you have changed so much in like two years. I know. She's so, she's undergone such a transformation and it's only been like a year of in-universe time. Right. I guess it's been like, it's been like a year and a half, but still not that long. Okay. They're going to use their real names, but they'll be identified as child victim interview experts. Which I'm sure is a real thing, but it's a wild name. I'm an expert at interviewing Wild job child title. victims i mean that sucks so they, sucks that it has to be a job title for somebody in the world i know which is literally what benjamin cyrus says he's literally like has our world fallen so far that that's a job yeah terrible and the answer is unfortunately yeah dude <laughs> yeah sorry so they roll up there's like solar panels people doing farm work there's babies benjamin cyrus is just like hanging out on the front steps he has the same accent as will and it he does not he does at least in that first scene i was like he sounds just like will he does not yes he does see the difference is that luke perry sounds like a regular human man (laughs) whereas fucking josh sounds like an alien trying to approximate louisiana speech (laughs) maybe maybe i just hear that accent from a man and i'm like that's the same that's the same it is not the same (laughs) accent at all i think you're the fucking weird one for thinking they have the same accent whatever he quotes Benjamin Franklin and Reed like knows that. And so Cyrus like immediately gas like Reed in his sights. He's like, oh, you're, you're on the same page. So also a little bit of sexism. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Obviously. Of course. Duh. And Emily and Nancy go to talk to the kids. Reed is talking to Benjamin Cyrus and learns that the ranch is like self-sufficient. They get their power from the solar panels. And Reed's like, I'm impressed. And Benjamin Cyrus is like, thank you for admitting that. They're interviewing Jessica. Can we, before we even get into any of this. Yes. Jenna Boyd, who plays Jessica. Amazing. Is fucking phenomenal in this episode. I think she and Luke Perry are really like holding this one down. This episode would not have been as good as it was. If not for those two. Absolutely. But also, this episode came out in 2008. Mm Mm-hmm. Jenna Boyd was born in 1993. She was 15 giving this performance. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. She was born this. Yeah. Wow. She was like 15. Actually the age. 
Yeah. Which is like insane that she's giving that good of a performance. Absolutely. Here. I just wanted to shout her out because we will be singing her praises throughout the entire episode. Yeah. She plays such a good she walks that really good line of zealot, but also just genuinely believes, but also seems so genuine. Like it's so yeah. she's so good. She also plays uh Paige Hardaway in Atypical. If you're yeah. wondering where you've seen her from, it's probably that. Okay, I started watching Atypical and I was like, where have I seen her from? <laughs> and then I saw the, the answer is Criminal Minds. Criminal Minds, yeah. And I was like, oh shit, yeah, that's true. People have problems with Atypical, but I genuinely enjoyed it. Okay. I did not think it was a very good TV show. Just it was not well constructed, but no. I did like everything else about it. I was like, all right, this is about standard for Netflix fair. Yes, exactly. Um, My standards were pretty low going in because it was a Netflix show. It is ultimately a Netflix show. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure, for sure. Okay. And she's sitting like, oh, you mentioning her birth year, though, was really interesting because what it told me that I was 15 when this season came out. And <laughs> two, she was born the same year Waco happened. And her mother brought oh, really? her. Yeah, 1993. And her mother brought her to this ranch when she was two years old. So two years after Waco, her mom joined a religious cult. Although at that point, it wasn't religious yet, right? Because Cyrus came in eight years ago. Yeah, so it was just a libertarian. Yeah. So she just joined like a libertarian group. And then it became religious and she stayed. But it's just interesting. It's like your daughter was like born in Waco times, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. Mm -hmm. So the talking to Jessica, who's like, hair is perfect. She's in like a nice professional dress, hands clasped, but she's giving a job interview, just like totally, immediately you see that she is like in this call. She's bought in so intensely. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, you know, we go to class, we do our chores, we respect each other like God's, like God demands. And Emily asks, you know, if she's ever left the ranch. And the mom says, no, I brought her when she was two. And Jessica is like, you interview children. Are other children's lives that much better than ours? And Emily is kind of like, yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> they are. Yes. Uh, she doesn't say anything, but. And then Emily's like, look, we're not here because of the religion. We're here because we got this phone call. And immediately Jessica's mom is like, looking around all suspicious you know and emily yeah it is very obvious that this yeah that jessica's mom is the one who gave the phone call yeah uh the whole time because yeah. it she does not disguise her voice very well on the phone no. call. like as soon as you hear her talk you're like oh it's her also like i like that they like where jessica is dressed really like professionally and like adult the mom is wearing like capris and like colorful shirts and like has a very childish, sheepish demeanor, you know? So, like, mm -hmm. I do think it took a lot of strength for her to make that call. You know? Like, I yeah. I think that was, like, a really big thing. So, good for her. I hate how it turned out, but, you know, good for her. <laughs> okay. Then Jessica's like, is it inappropriate for a man to share a bed with his wife? And <laughs> Emily's literally like, oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Emily's face when she realizes exactly what's going on here, she's just like, God damn it, this is going to be a long day. I know. She's <laughs> like, literally like, oh no. 
and reads like what the state of Colorado requires parental consent for a minor to be married. Emily looks at the mom and then goes, she gave consent. <laughs> it's like, oh no. But like, yeah. 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 So then men with rifles burst into the room and Benjamin Cyrus comes in and is like, we just got an interesting call from a news reporter. What do you three know about a raid? And then literally all three of them were like, surprise Pikachu. And he's like, they don't know. <laughs> oh no. What are the odds? Like literally like what are the chances they go in on the same day? What are the odds? Yeah. Well, actually we know the odds. The guy, the shitty state the general did it. The odds were 100% because of this attorney general. Yeah. yeah. The state's attorney general. So we start seeing black cars like roll in and I wrote, it's a raid for sure. <laughs> yeah. So these people in like SWAT gear, like running all around, surrounding it. And then it's like, you see them stomping with their boots and like how they have their guns as they go past like kids toys that are like out on the, the ground. Th- I will say the imagery of this, yeah. of this episode does kind of slap. Like yeah. the boots on the ground running past all the children's toys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have a note about that later, a little later. So half of the people go to the school and it's empty. And the other half are trying to break into the chapel. They find a hatch under the school floor to a tunnel. And they're like, oh, the people knew that the cops were coming. They got tipped off. The camera, the way it like looks up at the people shooting from the roof and then like down, like it looks like it was, it's the sights of a gun, you know, Mm -hmm. like the way it's shaking and jerking from like person to person, like trying to take in the surrounding. It's like uh, frantic. I love that. You really, it really feel does, like you're there. Yeah, it really builds the tension of the moment here. Yeah, of like, it's impossible to keep your eyes on everyone. You feel surrounded, you know, it's hard. So Benjamin Cyrus puts everyone into a bunker and Emily and Rita looking around and are like, where did these guns come from? Like Garcia looked up like whether or not they had any guns and they didn't. These are like unregistered stockpiled guns, right? And then, yikes. Yeah. And Nancy's like, this is ridiculous. And Emily's like, shut up. That was, girl. That was not the time. She's like, girl, just mm-hmm. shut the fuck up. Benjamin Cyrus finds out that they're trying to break through the front door of the chapel. He goes back and he's like telling his people to stop shooting. Right. Mm-hmm. And Nancy's like, I'm going to go talk to the, the people. I'm a state employee. They're state I'm an employees. officer of the state, too. Yeah. I'm like, girl, you are CPS. I love you so much. Yeah. But in our government hierarchy, we do not benef- we do not value no. CPS quite enough. Yeah, absolutely not. And Emily literally is like, do not. She gets passed. Emily and we get stuck. Nancy's like, hey, can I just shot dead? <laughs> Immediately. Immediately. Not even like bleeding out on the floor. Nope. She is shot. That bullet enters her body and her soul leaves it in the exact same moment. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Her soul hisses out. Like a balloon, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Cyrus's face, he like rolls his eyes. He's like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. And then he comes down and Emily's like, where's Nancy? And he just goes, it wasn't us. And Emily's like, you can't have a shootout with the cops. And Benjamin Cyrus is like, um, watch me, I guess. <laughs> you know? Sorry. Like, what do you want to say about it? Like, what do you want to do about it, huh? I mean, like, I can. So... 
so, I have these guns. I can't have a shootout. Yeah. So he's like, we didn't start this. You know, they all go back up. The cops are like trying to retreat. And Benjamin Cyrus is like, we're giving you a chance to pull back. Pull back. They do because somebody shot. I like, okay. I really like the trajectory of this episode. They like, they immediately make you sympathetic. It's like, you don't like this group, right? Because of the whole child marriage rape thing, right? Sure. We don't like that. Yeah. But then this raid happens and it feels a little unproportionate, you know, like an unproportionate response, right? And because you don't really, like, all the guns are still, like, most of the ones you see are, like, in boxes. There's only a few of, like, the men who have guns. Like, there's not, like, Mm -hmm. fucking guns and whiskey laying around where children can get at them. Like, it feels... Yeah, you're right. Like, it does not feel proportional. Yeah. And it's really good in that way. Yeah, and, like, the fact that the raid starts and they shoot, it's like, yeah, that's, like, defending their home. You know, so, like, at the beginning, and then Cyrus gives them the chance to back off. And, like, the state, you know, CPS worker is, like, we kind of don't like her when she's trying to do all this stuff and then she dies. It, like, puts you against the government response. Like, it feels like we got off to a bad start because of the yeah. raiders, you know? Like, through talking, they might have gotten somewhere. But, you know, so I like that they immediately show, like, Benjamin Cyrus, he's, like, kind he's yes he's made a teenager but he's like take your men out of here we don't want to be shooting you like you know yeah and i think that also though very much helps to build up not like a not like a waco-esque situation really quick but it is a way to sort of like immediately build sympathy for both sides like Mm -hmm. it's a really good way to be like hey these are also like just people and the fbi should not have free reign to just shoot all of them yeah. Like, that's just sort of, hey, remember how, like, people are people and have rights and that aren't always respected by the government? Hey, remember yeah, that? Yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting way to do, like, instead of what I think would have been done in previous seasons, instead of making the cops and the BAU and the government, like, the good guys and these are the the religious people are the bad guys, they've really set it up that, like, we're starting this exchange from a place where both sides have done something wrong. Yeah. You know? It really evens the playing field. Yeah, but I think it's really interesting the way they build that. And, you know, the BAU, I like that it's BAU agents inside, people that we're really come emotionally connected to, because, yeah. one, if they were all outside, that's too many people, too many cooks in the kitchen. Two, the fact that it's the BAU and not just, like, random CPS workers means that, like, we're, the stakes are very high. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it it's some intrigue of like we get to see what the BAU does when they are the hostages and we get to see them be hostage negotiators. We kind of get the best of both sides. I like that the BAU are playing from a deficit this whole game. Oh, yeah. I like seeing them trying to dig themselves out of that deficit, basically. And they do. And I like I love that they're it. playing from a deficit. I also think this is the first time and we'll get to it, but this is the first time you really see them working as like a team like this the way that they like know each other so well that they can kind of like figure out what everybody else is going to be doing you know that's the first time we've seen that usually it's been like giving orders and following orders and like do you trust your people or no but this is just kind of like the trust is never in doubt it's just like how well do we know each other and i like that a lot 
So we're at Quantico. Derek is at his desk. JJ just comes. I mean, she'd be running if she wasn't pregnant. <laughs> yeah, she is speed walking her way through this. Yeah, shows up and Derek is like, what's going on? And she's like, shut up. Turns on the television. <laughs> There's the news of the raid is on there. And Derek goes, is that? And JJ's like, yeah. Emily and Reed are still inside. And Derek is immediately like, Hodge! And Hodge comes out. The way he yells Hodge, and Hodge immediately is like, oh shit, this is a Derek yell. Yeah, like (laughs) Like, nobody yells in the BAU bullpen, right? So the second he yells, Hodge like hangs up the phone, and he and Rossi are like looking at the TV, and the phones start ringing. And I loved that. All the phones, all the phones start ringing. And Hodge goes, that means we're the lead with hostage rescue and support. Let's go. So, we're on the plane. We find out that the cult has been the subject of a six-month-long weapons investigation. And JJ says the attorney general, the state attorney general, lied to her. She had ATF reach out to him. And he was like, nope, nothing's going on. Oh, and also on the news they're listening to, it says this happened when the cops tried to serve a warrant. And it's like, that was not warrant behavior there was never a warrant in sight and later the attorney general would say that too no 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 you're trying to say that it's wrong and i like that this show is straight up like that's bullshit this guy lied to you yeah Yeah. and so they're like but why would he lie well he's running against the current governor and he thought the atf would poach this like big raid thing he was doing and he didn't know about the FBI agents. He says that he he thought it was three CPS workers and he wanted to serve the warrant while the kids were safe inside the school. Never mind that we saw when they split into two groups, half of the men with guns went into the school to find the kids. So it's yeah, like... It was like, okay, so everybody's bullshitting here. Yeah, it's like you didn't care about those kids. Not like that, you know? Yeah, literally. You did not give a shit about these children. Yeah, you didn't care about any of this. You just wanted a big show, which is terrible. So then Garcia starts telling us about the place. And the place is called Liberty Ranch. It was created in the 80s by a libertarian, Leo Kane. And Derek says, libertarians believe that everyone has the right to do what they want as long as they don't infringe on others. Nowadays, libertarians are known for being, like, hugely, like, anti any sort of government that kind of yeah anarchy is like anti-groups in general but libertarians just don't believe in oversight of any kind and (laughs) this is funny there was actually a town created i think in connecticut like a libertarian town but it failed because nobody was like doing trash collection nobody was picking up you know sweeping the streets you know the normal things that it takes to make a society nobody there was no government overseeing civil services i think people forget that like some of the stuff the government does like i don't think there's wrong with an organization organizing civil services you know like they gotta put trash collectors and postal workers and pay them you know that stuff's like fine they didn't they were like no government people will just do it no. And it was like, bestie. It's not how that works. Yeah. So dumb that's, shit, but thank you. That's the returns. They're the ones that like dress like wizards and run for local government and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So the man, Leo Kane, the libertarian who created the ranch, left eight years ago. And Benjamin Cyrus took over and he's the one who introduced religion. 
There's nothing online about Benjamin Cyrus. Doesn't exist. And then we found out that Leo Kane went to prison for tax evasion. And they were like, he had like 20 years. And they were like, 20 years for tax evasion? And JJ's like, no. Two years for tax evasion. The rest were for going after four IRS agents with a hatchet. Like, it's so good. It was a Louisville slugger. It was a, a baseball bat. That's right, a Louisville slugger. Sorry. Come on. I, I love it. <laughs> you go to prison for tax evasion and for being the shit out of four tax people. <laughs> like, okay. They're, They're just IRS agents. They're just some dudes. Yeah, the IRS is the government that's like just some dudes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Back on the ranch. Nancy's body's being dragged out. We find out that three people died. One of them got shot through the front door. Two of them were sleeping. Two of them were sleeping. They were in bed. And they got shot through the wall and died. And they're... Okay. In this, they're like, is the baby okay? And they bring out a baby. But then later, when they're like, let them meet the orphan they made, it's like a seven-year-old girl. They keep calling this little girl the baby, but this toddler is like five. <laughs> Jessica comes in with the baby. It's a six-year-old. And Benjamin Cyrus is like, go to the chapel, pray. And then he starts telling his man, Cole, to distribute guns. And Emily's very upset by this. Emily is like, we do not need to make this a whole thing. But like, yes, we do. Oh, I forgot to mention, Emily being so chill in the car about like the new identities and just being like, here's what we're going to do, blah, 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 blah. I was like... Put a pin in it. <laughs> okay, backstory. Yeah. Okay, you're really good at this. Okay, backstory queen, okay. go on. Okay, yeah. backstory, yeah. And then <laughs> Emily is like, don't do this, whatever. And Benjamin Cyrus is like, God will see us through. And then he has this like unreadable look on his face. Like, okay. Again, Luke Perry is so good. So good. Here's my question for you. Do you think he is religious for real? Or do you think he has memorized the Bible and is using it as a tool? For power. The second option. Okay, me too. Great. <laughs> Glad that's settled. Okay. The BAU arrives at this like impromptu command center right outside the entrance to the Liberty Ranch. Hotch is like, I get to choose the negotiator. And Rossi's like, I taught them all. Who do you want? Like, I can recommend you someone. And Hotch is like, no, I want you to do it. You know, and they're like going back and forth. Rossi's like, I'm too emotionally invested in this. And Hotch is like, I mean, me too. But like, part of this is predicting the moves of Reed and Prentice, as much as it is being able to predict Benjamin Cyrus, and you know them both. And Rochester is like, you're right. You're right. I'll do it. It's, it'll work. The state attorney general shows up, and he's like, why didn't the FBI tell me they were sending people undercover? And Hotch is like, the only thing I have to tell you is that you need a fucking lawyer. Okay? <laughs> the way Hotch wins this little alpha male pissing contest. <laughs> I love it. The guy is like, who are you? And Hotch says, I'm going to be the one to tell the Attorney General of the United States to charge you for like, like, for negligent homicide. Negligent homicide or, or yeah, whatever. I was like, oh, David Hotch, I love you so much. And then they do that cut. They do... This, the way they cut this scene is so funny to me because he says that and then it just hard cuts to a completely different angle of Hotch just staring this guy down. Yeah. The lighting is different and then they change back to that <laughs> angle and the attorney general of the state is like, all right, fine. Yeah. All right, I'm out here. Okay. And then he leaves. And I'm just like, how long did it take you guys? Like, what sort of outtakes did this scene have? Oh my God. Truly. I know. I loved it though. And he leaves. 
We meet. I think. I think the local guy's name is Gideon. Um, the local guy's name is. It is Dan. Just Dan. Just Dan Torre. Oh, for some reason I thought they said whatever. This actor, if you recognize him, you don't. But I'm talking to our audience now. If you've watched Star Trek Enterprise, he plays the like kind of a playboy, actually a softy, like engineer guy, and I love him. Commander Charles Trip Tucker the Third. Yeah, I love him, and that's it. I just wanted to say that I saw him, and I was like, "Oh hey, <laughs> oh hey, you're on Star Trek." <laughs> hey, Star Trek. Yeah, so. Rossi sees him and is like, we've been here before, haven't we? And the guy's like, Waco, Ruby Ridge, the Freeman standoff. Let's hope someone listens to you this time. All right. Lesson number two, three, whatever. I, okay, so I wrote that this, when he says, let's hope somebody listens to you this time, it's actually super interesting commentary because with Waco, the negotiators were getting closer to David Koresh and like doing stuff, but people kept like cutting their knees out from under them, going over their head, doing the opposite of what they said. And the negotiators years later were like, if they just fucking listened to us, like yeah. they wanted to be these big showy whatever. And it was actually the opposite of everything we told them to do. So I thought that was really interesting commentary that it was like the BAU was should have been listened to back then you know mm -hmm. like government bad but you guys are cool okay so i've talked about waco and ruby ridge in the past during identity which is actually really interesting because identity was set in montana right mm -hmm. they never talk about the montana freemen which is a group i'm about to talk about even though it is also a big kind of cult standoff so the mon well first we have to talk about the posse Comitatus, or the force of the country. It's, it was a far-right populist social move, movement, like in the late 60s. And it was basically like conspiracy theorists, anti-government, anti-Semitic, white supremacy, yada, yada, yada. And they practiced survivalism. They were like an armed citizens militia. And... They started a decline in the 21st century, but they've turned into the Christian Patriot Movement and the Sovereign Citizen Movement instead, basically. And they believed they were like true Israelites chosen by God. And they said that the Jews seek to help Satan destroy civilization and undermine white citizens' rights through the Federal Reserve and the International Revenue Service. The IRS is literally the devil. And, and, damn. Yeah. And so that's the Posse Comitatus. The Montana Freemen were kind of based on them. They are Christian patriot groups, which is one of the spinoffs, and believed in being sovereign citizens, which means that they were no longer under the authority of the United States government. This is in 1996 in Montana. They started their own little town. In 1994, the town that they were in, Justice Township, was foreclosed on. But they refused to leave, refused to be 
evicted and they had conducted their own like fake trials of public officials and like wrote their own like writ of execution against a federal judge and were like fuck you guys we're taking we're declaring war on america we're our own country now essentially and so the fbi did like a sting operation and ended up having to do this kind of like standoff with the freemen the same way kind of like waco and Ruby Ridge. And then in 1996, they started the standoff, started in 1996. And Bo Gritz, who was a political activist, he was allowed to go inside to negotiate with Justice Township, with the Montana Freeman. And he wanted to go with Randy Weaver, who, if you'll remember, is the father from Ruby Ridge, who ended up surrendering and he like helped other crises. He, mm-hmm. he was there and Gritz wanted to take him in and they wouldn't let Weaver go in with him. And so Gritz spent four days with them and then left being like, all they gave me was a mixture of religious and legal, legal, oh my God, religious and legal, religious. Legal lingo? <laughs> the group had only given him a mixture of religious and legal mumbo jumbo. And so then after 81 days of negotiations, the freemen surrender to authorities. So it's just another big, like, political cult standoff with the government that doesn't go well. And so now we're looking at what could be like the fourth one, right? Here at Liberty Ranch. I remember during Identity, we touched on Ruby Ridge a lot. We didn't really touch on Waco because we knew that we would have this episode <laughs> coming oh, up. I definitely touched on Waco a lot in that episode. You, I told I you about the loud noises so real with you? and the Humvees and they like attacked the water and they pumped gas in and like no one could agree who set the actual fire that exploded the whole thing. I talked about Jenna Reno. I did. I promise you, we had a very lengthy discussion on Waco and David. We Trash. had a very lengthy discussion about discussion, discussion, discussion about um, Ruby Ridge, <laughs> but I don't really remember Waco all that much. And I usually remember the fun facts we talk about in our episodes because I think we held it off for this exact episode. No, I'm pretty sure I explained it because it would come back. Okay, I'll tell you about Waco. Tell me about Waco as it relates to this minimal loss. That's all of it. Minimal loss is essentially like Waco 2.0. What if there were <laughs> FBI agents you loved and cherished inside? That's what this is. So okay. this is their this is their fanfic retelling of Waco. Yeah. Okay. So David Koresh is in charge of the Branch Davidians. He is headquartered at Mark Carmel Ranch. There's so much here. There's a reason. There's like eight documentaries about this. Okay. Basically, and I haven't seen any of them. I'm going entirely <laughs> off of your information. Wonderful. Basically, he he's like selling, buying and selling weapons. And that's like how they're getting money for their group. But the ATF believes that they're doing this like illegally or they're modifying weapons. There's also rumors of like child sexual abuse and like polygamy and, you know, marriages with children and teenagers having babies. Like all of that is just part mm-hmm. of it. And so, but David Koresh literally believes he's like the whatever coming of Jesus. And he believes that 
There will come a time when the armies of the devil attack them at Waco, at Mount Carmel, and they will have to defend themselves to the death. So the second the ATF starts this raid, they the Branch Davidians will never surrender. They believe that this is the final conclusion of okay, everything yeah. they've been working for. The ATF doesn't give a shit about this. Don't care about it. So basically... Okay. They do a daylight raid of the ranch in order to serve these warrants and to find the weapons and the explosions. Oh, and it's important to know, too. So the way they end up being able to get a warrant is David Kresh's brother-in-law is stopped by like for like traffic stuff. His car is stopped and they find illegal weapons. So they're able to tie that back to David Kresh and to the Branch Davidian. So now they're going to do a raid. But there's a news reporter on the way to Waco. He stops and sees a mailman and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm about to go cover this big raid that's going to happen. The mailman, David Koresh's cousin, calls David Koresh. Hey, there's a raid coming. They knew so they knew beforehand. That's so insane. I know. That's so insane. Yeah. So the reporter, yeah, see, the reporter was tipped off about the raid told the Postal Service who called David Koresh. So everyone was ready when they showed up, right? Which is very similar to this episode where a news reporter, the, the, the shitty state attorney general, calls the news to say there's an FBI agent. News reporter calls, David, calls Benjamin Cyrus and is like, hey, there's an FBI agent in there, right? Yeah. So it's very similar to that. And so there's, okay. I can't, I'm not going to go through the entire raid. There's so fucking much that happens in this raid. If you want us to do a deep dive into Waco and how Criminal Minds writers have fanficified their yeah. Waco, yeah. let us know. They, we'll do it. This episode is literally a how Waco should have gone. But essentially, the Waco siege is there's like a first wave of people run up. One of them gets shot and dies, just like the episode. And then because of that, they're going to do their a bigger raid. You know, they're all like, we just came okay, to serve yeah. a warrant and you shot us. Mm-hmm. But doing that for shootout, a bunch of the water tanks that they used to be self-sustaining got destroyed. So they had no water and they couldn't get food shipments. So they're like struggling inside this compound, right? And the FBI, or not the FBI, the ATF and all the people there are like blasting noise, the sound of like rabbits being killed. They're like, at all hours just blasting noise to keep them from sleeping and to like throw them off and it's crazy no it's absolutely crazy and it's fucking insane yeah and so they and they put a bunch of like sleeping gas into the building and they say like oh we didn't put it where the children were but they like flooded the entire compound with this gas like you know who's to say and they do manage to get some children out they do manage to get some people out but when the children and their parents came out they immediately separated them the children and That's the women. Up. Yeah, so none of the children are, now all the children are like extra traumatized, right? And all of this is going on. And then somehow it's debated whether the Branch Davidians did this or if it was like a bullet or something from the government. But a fire starts and there's all this gas and the whole place just goes up. 76 people died, including 28 children. And... You know, at the time, it was seen as like, oh, these crazy, you know, conspiracy theories. Like, it was the Branch Davidians. They did this. Mm -hmm. They attacked us. It was very much like anti those people. 
And in recent years, as things have come out, it is looking a lot less favorably on the government. And I mean, I I still, you know, we don't support cults or child, you know, pregnancy in this house, but they didn't need to be exploded to death, right? Yeah, we can sort of agree that nobody... um... Mm -hmm. Nobody needed to do that. Yeah, so there's that. But this episode, think about how many overlaps there are with this episode. Like all of them. Like all of them. This episode <laughs> is just, like, it's Waco, but they keep being, like, crazy how much, like, Waco this is, huh? Okay, bye. Like, so, the BAU's doing things a little bit differently. They've sent away the state police. They said instead of escalating violence and escalating people, they've done the opposite. And they're like, actually, no more guns in there. We're not doing that. We're not doing that again. And... Now, right now, they have no contact with Liberty Ramps. They have no contact with Benjamin Cyrus. And the local guy is like, I mean, we could shoot out the, the panels, the solar panels. So they lose power. And Rossi is like, no, that's going to be seen as an escalation. And correctly, foreshadowing, the guy is like, okay, but that means they can still see the news. You know. Yeah, I like that. The, this guy's also smart. He also yeah. suggests that they change all of their clothes from uniforms and fatigues to Ranch like clothes. ranchers' clothes Absolutely. to try and like de-escalate the situation. Yeah, this guy's smart. This guy's smart, smart little guy. I, I will say one thing I do like about this episode, as much as it's like fan fiction about Waco, I like that it kind of still has the same conclusion, like with the yeah. bomb, except that the only people that died are. In the explosion, I mean, are the girl is Jessica. Everybody else got out. But I think it's really interesting that they were like, okay, we're going to have an episode where like the, you know, cops do everything right. And it is. And the bad things still happen. And the bad things still happen. I, oh, I love it. Okay. Rossi explains the minimal loss scenario. Episode title in the episode. Let's go, motherfuckers. We're back, baby. So basically, Rossi says that every person they take out of that building is a life saved. But they have to be aware and they have to be okay with the fact that they are going to lose some people. There will be lives lost. We are just trying to... And he's right. And it's just like a pyramid scheme, really, when you think about it. Hey, is this the best cult episode Criminal Minds ever did? Because I don't think they did a ton of cult episodes, did they? I was just, I was just, I've been sort of turning it over in my head, and I don't really know that there are other cult episodes. This is really the only time they're in one. Yeah. How how do you how do you do better than this? The answer is you do not. You don't. Aha. Uh-huh. Criminal cults featured in Criminal Minds. In season one, the tribe, there's that guy 
who's like starting a cult, the fake Native American cult, right? Oh, yeah, but that I don't consider a cult because that's just one dude. Yeah. Then we have in season nine, Persuasion, the Las Vegas sewer vagrants. I wouldn't say they're necessarily a cult. They're just kind of a bunch of people who live together. In season 10, the Forever People. Oh, right. That's a good episode, too. Good app. Yeah. And then in season 13, there's the Doomsday Preppers in the episode The Bunker. And then there's the Believers in the episode Believer. All right. But there's not many. There's not many. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised by how few there are, really. In more than 200 episodes, there's six cults. Well, I think the thing is, one, cults aren't really serial killers, right? And two, there's only so many ways you can write a cult, right? Yeah. You know, I think so. I I think the cults in this show, there's this one, which is the like Christian cult. There was like a pseudo Native American cult. And then it's like, the like we're gonna live forever by like breathing sunlight cult. Then there's like a survivalist one. They like hit all the types of cults, and there's only like six. Yeah, or seven. they really hit the big ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I also I don't know why. I just to me the BAU is much more of like a social game, and cults are just entirely social. That's fair. I do think it wasn't included on that list, but there's an episode where like. The crimes, it's like girls being abducted and it's like a mother and a father and they bring their son to like kidnap a little girl who then gets oh, like... Oh yeah, I remember that one. I would call that a cult. I would also call that yeah, a cult actually. Now that I'm thinking <laughs> it's about not it, on the I list for of sure cults, would though. call that a cult. Yeah, especially because it's like a twist. But it's not on the list, I guess. I guess they didn't have a proper name so you couldn't like fully cultify them. I This guess. is the best one though. This one's the best. Okay. Pyramid structures. This stupid little diagram he draws. He draws like... <laughs> it's like a leader. And then just under leader is diehards. And then there's a big section at the bottom that he goes followers. And then he just draws a line between diehards and followers. And it's like, we're trying to save the followers. And I was like, did you need to like... Draw <laughs> Did a you picture? need to draw this actually though? But it's in the background for the rest of the episode. And I do love that. Um, that's another fun Criminal Minds tattoo. The little robot and then this like cult triangle. Like I'm, doing, I'm gonna get a sleeve of Criminal Mind tattoos, but it's all just like shit that nobody would think of as Criminal Minds just, tattoos. Like tiny background whiteboard drawings. Like that's it. That's my Criminal Minds tattoos. Yeah. Okay. And then I think this is kind of sexist. I think this is kind of sexist. Derek is like followers are women and children, and we can save them. I think women are allowed to be caught up in being a diehard. Women are allowed to be diehards. Although, now that I've just said that out loud, it's, I think it's good that they say this, because in the end, who's the biggest diehard? The teenage girl. A woman, yeah. 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 So they're like, the followers are women and children we can save. So you never really think of Jessica as anything other than a victim. But yeah. she is, obviously. She's been totally brainwashed. I'm not going to say she's anything but a victim. But that's interesting. Right away, they're yeah. like, don't think of her as that. We're going to save her. But no. But you don't. But you don't. But you won't. Yeah. So they're saying, you know, at first they want to get like one or two people, then they want to get more and more, etc. And they'll go in, but it finally gets bad. And they describe cult leaders as charismatic sociopaths. They're like mirrors to make the people who believe in them see what they want to see. And the biggest thing right now that they can do is undermine the perception that they're invaders. They're going to wear, like, ranch clothes. 
Then we super chill. Rossi changes into his grandpa jeans. It's great. His fucking dad jeans. I know. So we God, cut. they make me laugh. I just, I love anytime Rossi wears jeans, actually. I take back anything bad I've said about it. I'm into it now. <laughs> I like it. I'm into it now. I'm done being a hater. I'm done being a hater. Now, I love. <laughs> no hate, only love. Grandpa jeans. Okay. We cut to the nighttime. A little girl says, the, the baby says, you killed my parents. Are you going to kill me too? And they're like, no. <laughs> and Cyrus is like, hey, who am I talking to? It's Rossi. He's like, look, we... The way he says, by the way, before this happens, Cyrus says, let them meet the orphan they've made, which is also a very hardcore metal band name. The orphan they made. Orphan they made? Okay. Okay. There's some metal lines in Criminal Minds, and that's one of them. So Rossi's basically like, I sent the police away. It's only, you know, the BAU and the locals. How do we resolve this? And, you know, Cyrus is like, the way to resolve this is to, like, leave us alone. Leave us alone. And Rossi's like, can't do that. A policeman died. Sorry. Now it's real. You know, why don't you put the guns out and I come out? I'm here to make sure, like, this isn't your final battle. Cyrus is like, you know, there will be a final battle. And Rossi's like, not today, please, if you don't mind. <laughs> not today. Not this one. So he's like, how are the social workers? You hear, like, one is dead and they all, like, brace themselves. And then they're like, her name is Nancy, whatever. And then they're like, who cares about Nancy? And as long as it wasn't Reader Emily. Which is so fucked up. I but know. But also, I, I get them. I know. So Rossi's like, well, can you send the wounded out? We'll tend to them. And they're actually going to send in supplies at first light. And Rossi's like, I'm going to go. I'll make sure the Reed and Prentice are okay. You know, and they plant bugs in the supplies. And the local guy is like, you know, will Prentice and Reed, you know, know our tactics? And Hotch is like, yeah, the BAU wrote these playbooks. They'll know that our yeah. number one thing is getting ears on the inside. They'll get people talking. And they do. Okay. The next morning, Rossi drives up with supplies in like a pickup box. He carries them inside. Again, the camera's shaky and shows us what he's paying attention to. He drives up. He has a pickup full of like five, six boxes of supplies. One box. Carries in one. And leaves. <laughs> Does not carry in any of the others. Leaves the pickup there or just dumps the rest of the supplies. Just carries in the one box. I know. I know. In my memory, others came out to get the rest of them, but that doesn't happen. That does not happen. They do not leave that shirt. No. So, interesting. It's so weird. They, like, he goes inside, the door closes. He's, like, looking around for Emily and Reed. You know, and Cyrus, like, here's the kids, here's the guests. You know, the children are under our protection. And he's, like, can you ask them not to force us out? Can you tell them that I'm not crazy? And Rossi, like, does, like, look at Emily and Reed and is, like, and then Rossi shakes. Rossi like offers his hand to Benjamin Cyrus to shake. And they like shake hands. I was like, good move, Rossi. Good move. Good move, old man. So then Benjamin Cyrus starts pouring wine for everybody. And he's like, we're celebrating because we're one day closer to being with God. And Emily and Reed are noticing that Jessica like literally worships Benjamin Cyrus. The way she's looking at him is like, devotional and 
you know, he wouldn't have made, she wouldn't have made that call. She wouldn't have made that call. And then Jessica mom, Jessica's mom comes over and is like, pss, 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 pss. and Jessica's literally like, get out of my way, get out of my way. And Emily is like, interesting how she comes between them. Okay. And then everyone drinks. So now we have to talk about Jonestown. <laughs> now we get another real bummer on our hands. <laughs> I am not going to go into the whole history of it, but basically Jim Jones started a church in America, decided he wanted to move to an island, but it turned out to be really terrible for like growing plants and things and everyone was miserable and he got like started getting crazier and crazier. And a senator and a news team, a journalist team, go to the island, go to Jonestown. And one of the people living there sneak him a note, basically, that's like, get us out of here. So the senator is like, okay, I will. And he takes a few people and he's getting ready to leave. And Jim Jones is like, okay, bye. But at, when they get to the airstrip, Jim Jones's people just shoot them all dead. Kill, kill the senator, kill everybody who was trying to leave. None of them get to leave. And then, because that's happened, he goes, okay, we are going to, basically, everyone's going to kill themselves. And he had been doing these kind of routine loyalty tests, and everyone says, you know, drink the, you drink the Kool-Aid. That comes mm -hmm. from Jonestown. Yeah. Because he would do these tests, so they would do, it was actually flavoring, it was store brand, but they would fill these tubs with this juice and make everyone drink it. They never knew if it was poisoned or not. But in this case, it was poisoned. And they would like make their children drink it, even the babies. And anyone who tried to run got shot. And I think like 900 people died. It was something crazy. And you can actually listen to the recording of him talking over the loudspeakers at that moment as everyone's dying. And it's rough. Uh, I haven't. I started it and was like, actually, no, <laughs> I don't want this. And I, I stopped. 918 people. Yeah, I told you. Died at the settlement. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot of people. But that's the whole thing about like, he would do these loyalty tests regularly and people like never knew if it was real or not. Because a lot of people were like, why would you drink poison? And it's like, one, you're already kind of indoctrinated, right? And yeah. two... Up to this point, they'd all been loyalty tests. So it's even more like, is this the time it's going to be, you know, you don't want to be the one who's not drinking and get told on and punished and all that kind of stuff. So this is another yeah. reference to that. Rossi goes back to the others and Benjamin Cyrus is really calm. And, you know, they say that it looks like he's been vindicated because he's been waiting for an attack like this and now it's happened. So he was right all along. And they put their headphones on just in time to him for to hear, just in time to hear him be like, you all love drinking poison. <laughs> it's very, the timing is so. I know. And Rossi's like, this doesn't fit. He shook my hand. Like, it's not real. It's not real. But Hotch and Derek are like, we got to go in. We got to go in. And Reed and Emily are like, we're not going to do anything because Reed thinks he's bluffing because Cole is like taking notes on like who's crying. It's a loyalty list. And then Rossi does mention Jim Jones. So I do appreciate that. And he mentions how Jim Jones detests. And Hodge is like, we're going to go in. And then they hear like, it wasn't actually poisoned. And everyone's like, cool, 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 cool. 
and Benjamin Cyrus is like, watch each other for signs of weakness. And then JJ shows up and is like, Leo Kane is here. JJ is truly a messenger in this. She's like, hey, hey. Truly. She just kind of sort of runs on, says some news, and then leaves. Yeah. Um, the AJ Cook was like, I'm pregnant. You can have me for two hours. Goodbye. Yeah. You will get three hours a day. That is it. Yeah. So there's a deleted scene, actually, in for this episode where JJ's talking to the media and she's telling them to avoid inflammatory terms. And the news reporter, who's the one that's been on TV this whole time, is like, is censorship government policy? And she goes, no, government policy is keeping you at a safe distance from the danger. Right now, it's here outside of the compound. If you keep talking, it'll be in New Jersey. (laughs) She's so funny. (laughs) She's so funny. And basically, she says, it's not a compound. It's a ranch. It's not a cult, it's a church, and it's not a bunker, it's a basement, which I think is very interesting. I kind of wish they had kept that in, because I think a lot of the framing that they use is so important, and then it kind of, right now the media is only there when they fuck shit up. Yeah. I think it would have been interesting if we if we had gotten a little bit of like, hey, the media did not always fuck things up, they were trying very hard to frame this better. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, that scene, too, because in the beginning, it says Separatarian Ranch Standoff. Yeah. On the screen, you know, and they mention it as a ranch, and they mention it as a church. And I, it would have been cool to see JJ, like, do something. Um, but I guess they had to cut it for time. Shame. Shame. Okay. The original person, Leo Kane, says that Benjamin Cyrus's real name is Charles Mulgrew, which I think is a reference to Charles Manson. I can see that. Charles Mulgrew, you know. Uh, When he was 17, Cyrus was 17, he was kicked out for sexually assaulting little girls. So he was at the compound with his mother when Leo Kane was in charge. Got kicked out at 17 for sexually assaulting little girls. His mother went with him. There was silence for years. And then he showed back up again, said his mother had died and he'd found God. And then Benjamin Cyrus goes to Leo Kane and says, hey, God told you to leave. And Leo Kane says, God can tell me that himself. And Cyrus points a gun at his head and says, he just did. And kicks him out. Which is amazing parallel to the last bit of this episode. Where Reed is like, you can't do this. And Cyrus says, if God didn't want me to do this, he'd stop me. Derek comes in, shoots him six times. And Reed's like, he just did. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of my favorite Reed moments, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just, I really like that Cyrus ends up being killed in the same way that he kicked out Leo Kane. And Leo Kane says it took him 20 years to build that ranch. And then he got kicked out by this asshole, you know. So, Garcia looks up Charles Mulgrew. He was convicted at 18, right after he left the ranch, for statutory rape. And then inside jail, inside the jail, he was a model citizen. Like, truly. And she said that he helped in the AIDS wards like taking care of prisoners who had HIV. And Derek goes, that's good stuff. And she says, damn straight. And I enjoy that, like, yeah, he's like this terrible guy, but they're like, yeah, but he helped like with AIDS and everyone's like, right on. <laughs> Back to what we Big were doing. Big win, yeah. Yeah, everyone's like, we support AIDS people here. Thank you. So I, I, I never caught that before. And I enjoy that little like. I also do think that's mainly just Derek telling her good job on your research. Thank you for being thorough. 
But I do like the sort of alternate history that you've just made where they're like, yeah, he's sort of a terrible pervert, but also did help the gays, I guess. Oh, well, she did. She's like, no, I mean, a model prisoner. She talks about the AIDS ward and he goes, that's good stuff. But I guess you're right that he was probably talking. research. He was talking to her. Yeah. I don't think they're really complimentary of this guy at all. I thought they were like, good stuff to help people with HIV. (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's on me. I... I'm gay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Okay. And they're like, his thing to prison is actually worse because he knows what they do to child abusers. So he's like, extra not going to go to prison. And so then Hotch goes, hey, JJ, tell the media there's been no proof of sexual allegations. Like, that's not a problem. And then JJ goes, shut up. (laughs) Watch this. (laughs) Watch this. Bad time. Yeah. And apparently... The news, so now the news presenter guy is like, there's an, at the state's attorney's office has told us there's an FBI agent inside the ranch. No word as to why an agent was sent in alone. And listen, I, okay, there's two parts of this, right? Mm-hmm. One, what the fuck is this guy's problem? What the fuck is this attorney general's problem? Like, what is this guy's problem? He got fired for sure. For sure. Like, for sure, for sure. And two, I like that the news, I like the way this came back. I like the way that the guy at the beginning was like, they're going to be able to watch the news. And then it came back like this, you know? Yeah, I do like it. I like the, they called their shot, the shot landed. Yeah. I also do kind of like how it's very much shows, that's what I'm looking for here. Hmm. It's very interesting that this attorney general is continuing to play against them, even though theoretically they are all on the same side. So now he's sort of just like trying to take them down with him, you know? Him. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is also a nod to Janet Reno in Waco. So Janet Reno... Janet Reno was the United States Attorney General Mm -hmm. during Waco. And she was a piece of fucking shit, okay? And she's the one during the Waco standoff that authorized the FBI assault. She said that, you know, she was told children were being abused. So she was like, okay, kill them all. Like, she's the one who really pushed for chaos and pushed for... It's to end the way that it did, honestly. And she sucks. And she's terrible and I hate her. And I think that this person, this state attorney's general is yeah. playing the Janet Reno, is playing the like, sometimes it's po- it's politics are messing up the work, mm-hmm. you know? So, Reed and Emily are just like hanging out in the bunker. And Benjamin Cyrus comes in with coal, with guns, and he says, which one of you is the FBI agent? And they're both like, what are you talking about? What are you? And he puts a gun to Reed's head and is like, I don't even feel bad about this. And Emily's immediately like, it's me. It's me. It's me. I like that Emily is the one. I like that Emily is the one who steps up for Reed. Yeah. Emily's a better person than a lot of people, I think, give her credit for. And this is why. Oh, Emily's an amazing person. But I, I think that this is kind of like the natural progression the natural escalation of the way that she cares about people like we've seen her like in 
Children of the Dark, when she sees the kid, she's like, this sucks that we like have to leave this kid here. And we've seen how much she cares about mm-hmm. victims, about like people involved in cases. So it makes sense then that if it's somebody on her team, a friend, she's straight up like, shoot me instead. Shoot me instead. Because yeah. like, for all she knows, he's going to take the gun from Reed onto her and just shoot her instead. Yeah. Like, and there's no hesitation. Yeah. And she's like, no, it's me. It's me. It's me. Like, God, what a good person. I know. I know. But I think this is also kind of like, this might be one of the first times we see Emily making kind of reckless decisions that are not the best for herself, disregard of herself. But I mean, what was the, what was the other option? Let Reed get shot, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And then he, dr- Benjamin Cyrus drags her out by her hair. Yeah. And Reed, like, starts to get up and, you know, they don't let him go. So they're in the supply closet. He starts beating the shit out of her. Like, truly beating the shit out of her. And Derek and Hotch and Rossi are, like, listening. Like, yeah. ugh, that would suck. And she starts saying, I can take it. I can take it. And they're like, why, why is... She goading him and Rossi's like, she's talking to us. She's saying that she can take it. She's telling us not to come in. And Derek like rips his headphones off. Derek is like, I can't do this. I can't listen. Can I say the yeah. cinematography of this fucking fight scene? Yeah. He like throws her against a mirror and the mirror like uh. kind of shatters a little bit. But then eventually at like the, the fight scene moves around mm-hmm. and then he pushes her back against a wall and it's just the back of his head. And then you can see his face reflected in the broken mirror yeah. as he's talking to her. This is art, baby. This is cinema. I just I like the way she's like, I can take it. And then she turns around and meets his eyes and it's like, I can take it. And I'm just like. Oh, God. Emily! Also, like, think about the growth of Emily, right? Like, I think she's one of the people we'd least expect something like this from, like, being able to take a beating like this because she's, like, the rich, you know, mysterious. She's, like, pretty and she's, like, dorky. Yeah. And now she's getting the shit kicked out of her and she's literally, like, I can take it. It's, like, who's this? Who's this, Emily Prentice? What is this? We've never seen this girl work out a day in her life. And now she's getting the shit kicked out of her and she's fine. It's she's like, truly fine the whole time. Yeah, wild. Absolutely wild. And I love it. Also, Paget Brewster and her acting is so good here. We see, like, Emily's hands, like, have this, like, slight tremor to them. And the way she, like, yeah. her, like, body keeps her torso keeps like twisting and like writhing in pain every time she's thrown it's so good it's yeah so good i love it and i mean Patrick Brewster, you're acting the woman you are the woman you are when you the act. woman you are and i think but i mean i think it, it makes sense because you know emily Prentice and patrick brewster are so different right like just the way mm-hmm. they hold themselves and they move and she gives emily like emily talks with her bottom teeth a lot like she always like uses her bottom teeth a lot and like the the lip licking and like she has all these little things that she's given to emily and just like the way she carries herself her voice is all different so it makes sense that she has this like control of her body then to be able to like get the shit kicked out of her and look yeah. terrible <laughs> yeah and then i said um they, they take her upstairs and put her in bed and she's bleeding from so many places <laughs> 
truly, she is just so... So bleeding. Yeah. She does, She is not shown getting the enough care. <laughs> She's she like walking around. She does not get adequate medical attention. She's like <laughs> exactly. walking around and then at some point she like changed into sweats on the plane. I was like, no bandages? No, nothing she's just she's like not i'm a, fine not an ice pack she's just she's good she's good so jessica's mom comes in to take care of her and it's like you don't know how dangerous it is to lie to him and emily's like but i imagine if you did go against his wishes you'd be really brave and you'd have to have a really good reason and the mom leaves and emily's just like ah, fine she's coming on you're coming on a little strong there em Especially, I love you. You were coming on a little strong. I get that you don't have a lot of time, but still, Emily. Well, I think one thing that's like really, really interesting is that, and it's not highlighted as much, but like Emily is deprogramming the mother too. Like the mother also has to be taken out of this cult. She's trying to crack by taking the phone call, but. Yeah, deprogramming takes a long time and is a very arduous process emily is trying to do it in approximately 20 minutes yeah she's like she's like i gotta gotta rush i gotta like speed speed run speed this shit up this deprogramming benjamin cyrus is talking to reed and is like did you know and reed's like i didn't nancy said she was you know this interview specialist i've been working with nancy for years she said the woman was from denver she's never lied to me and benjamin cyrus is like that you know of and Reed's like, yeah, you know, we've investigated like a lot of charges against these churches and a lot of them are false. And Benjamin Cyrus sees Reed as malleable and impressionable and is like, we can work with this. You know, it's all fake. But can I say I like Reed a lot in this episode? I like Reed a lot here. He does a really good job of, like, showing his terror and, like, showing himself making quick decisions. But he he's he's doing it. He's reining it in so hard. Can I say? Please. I think I like this read because he doesn't talk quite as much. Yeah. He doesn't talk himself through his thought processes. You just sort of have to see it happen. Yeah. And I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like it when he's silent. <laughs> I like uh, I like my men when they talk a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> and Reed, now that Cyrus thinks that he can manipulate him, Reed is like, we should test, you know, their negotiator and prove that he can be trusted, that he's not a liar. Ask him who the FBI agent is and say that you'll release such a kid, you know, in exchange, and then you'll know if you can trust them or not. And then Cole says that some people have been talking about leaving. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. There's a phone call at the ranch. It's Rossi. I guess they have like, they have like pre-scheduled phone call times. So Rossi calls. Yeah, they say our 7 a.m. call. Yeah. Like it's like it's a fucking. I know. <laughs> like it's a fucking Monday morning meeting. Like we'll, we'll circle back on this synergy at our 7 a.m. Yeah. Okay. So. Rossi's calling them, and Benjamin Cyrus cuts right to it. He says, I will release a child if they share the identity. Great. And they're... This is important, by the way, because 
there is no communication out from the other place. So the reason why it's a big deal that he is testing and trusting the identity or entrusting Cyrus with the identity of the FBI agent is because if they lie, then they then Benjamin Cyrus knows that. I feel like we kind of glossed over that point. Right, right. No, there's, there's, we kind of glossed over why this is a trust exercise. Because right. we, the viewer, know all the information. In the episode, each half only knows half of it, except for the FBI now knows that Emily was the one who said she was the FBI agent. Yeah, Reed has made it clear that, like, Emily's the one who said she was an agent, so... You know, when he asks, say it's Emily. But they're sneaky. So like, this will tell Reed that they're listening. This will let Benjamin know he can trust them. You know, that kind of thing. It'll be good. It's good. Great. They're not going to do any more harm to the agent. Cyrus is like, we won't harm the agent going further. Because <laughs> they just like beat the shit. After you've already beat her yeah. to shit. And they send out the kid. Let's go meet, let them meet the orphan they made. Wonderful. Such a hardcore line. So hardcore. Such a hardcore yeah. line. Derek takes his gun off and he goes and he gets the girl. And Rossi's like, I'm taking a big risk by trusting you. The FBI agent's name is Emily Prentice. She came in with two child service workers. And so like, great. Now he trusts them. So Benjamin Cyrus is like, look, I want to do another sign of good faith. Assemble everyone, get Emily. And... He's, you know, once everyone's assembled, he's like, I know that some of you have lost faith. And he's just naming names. And Emily, Emily's standing there beaten bloody and just goes, wow, he looks pissed. And Rita's just looking <laughs> at her. so funny. She's so funny. She's like, literally this, can't even feel it. <laughs> Reed comes over and Emily's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's fine. <laughs> and then Reed says, I will... Reed tells Emily to listen for a sign of what time the raid is going to happen. And then he goes back to Benjamin Cyrus and is like, I told Emily she shouldn't apply to. And Cyrus... I think this is Reed laying it on a little bit thick there. This is the one point where I was like, if Benjamin Cyrus is going to ever catch on, this is the point where I was like, all right, you're laying it on a little bit thick there. I think it's, you know what I mean? I think it's good, though, because, like, they were talking, like, oh, Nancy's never lied to me that you know of. So, and he's like, yeah, you're right. We should talk about, he's like, we'll talk about trust. We'll talk about not lying. So it makes sense that when he, like, goes over, he's like, you shouldn't have lied. Lying's bad. And then he goes back to Benjamin and it's like, you know, don't worry. I told you lying is bad. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, I just, I, I thought it was like, this is the moment where, where I was like, almost, I was like, oh, Reed, you kind of are trying a little bit too hard to impress this cult leader. And I think he's going to see through that, but he doesn't. It's just like, I was like, this is the moment where I'm like, Ooh, if this is ever going to go bad, this is it right there. Yeah. But he doesn't. And Benjamin Cyrus releases the people who failed the test. He's like, go for it. So they all come out of the chapel and Cyrus tells Rossi, I'm going to surrender at noon tomorrow. I want the press there to make sure that I'm treated fairly. You'll get details in our 7 a.m. call. And then he's like, Oh, also give me food. And he says, fried chicken with all the fixings, which is another reference. John Wayne Gacy's last meal was KFC. Oh, really? Yeah. So I think that's a reference to that. And I thought it was just a reference to the fact that fried chicken fucks, actually. <laughs> actually, fried chicken fucks. I just think that's, you know, <laughs> it fucks. Sure. 
If you're gonna have to feed a lot of people for not a lot of money, fried chicken fucks. Yeah, fair enough. And all the fixings. And you see and them. All the fixings. You see them with like corn cobs, putting corn cobs into things. Like it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Cole's like, "Why are we letting these people go?" And I like that Reed is trying to drive a wedge between Cole and Cyrus. He's it's like, "It's really interesting. It's so good." And I don't think it ultimately comes to anything, but. I like it. He's just like destabilizing, you know. And he says that, you know, the media isn't there to make sure he's treated fairly. The media is there so that they can witness his final act of sacrifice. And I like that he says that because he knows that like the BAU is listening. So he's like, by the way, (laughs) it's going to happen tomorrow morning. And then he says he's always looking for signs of things to come. And this is Rossi being like, we have to go in now. Reed's telling us it's time. Like, Reed's telling us that tomorrow morning something big is going to fucking happen, right? Yeah. And I know, it's so good. So the team that's outside, Hotch, Rossi, Derek, the guy, the local guy, they're in their, like, you know, setup. And they're, like, getting the food is getting all set up into the little bins. And they say that they can't drug the food because of the children. And they decide that 3 a.m. is the best time to come in because, like, that's when their your biological rhythms are off. <laughs> it's like a weird... Which is true. If you're, like, yeah. deep enough in a REM sleep, then, like, your body wakes up slower. I get it. Sure. Not that anyone's sleeping, but... I was going to say... No one is asleep at 3 a.m. They're all awake when this stuff happens, but whatever. Well, the kids and the girls are asleep. So Benjamin Cyrus mentioned Waco at some point, and so the local guy's like, I know what we need to do. We need to get Humvees, which is something they had at Waco. And so then it's like, how do we well, how do we tell Reed and Prentice what time the raid is? And so Hotch writes on one container, like new owners, new hours, open until 3 a.m. And it's like, hope Reed sees this one container. <laughs> But she does. I think they wrote it on a bunch of different containers. Oh, okay. But I do like the idea that they were like, this one has to go to Reed because it's his very special boy meal. <laughs> this just, one is for Reed. He has actually, um, we've heard that he had dietary restrictions, so he does need the special one. <laughs> it's his little happy meal. Yeah. So, his little happy meal. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay. And then Emily's in her bed. She's like, using her heel to lift the window like the blinds of the window which is like how are you using your abs after that beating but whatever she's tough as nails huh so she starts saying like i know that you're coming i need to know what time i need to get the women and children out and she just says the same thing over and over again and someone is like she's talking so derek uses like the scope of a rifle like a sniper rifle the red light and it's like three dots, it's 3 a.m. And then she goes, okay, Reed's on the first floor somewhere with Cyrus. Please remember the children. And I like love that. Emily is like, please remember that there are I children know. here. I know, and I love it. Emily cares so much. Yeah. So much. It really like kills All the time. Me. All the time. She cares so much about everything, everywhere all at once. And I love her for that, actually. So. I just, she's the best of us. Okay. Reed sees the container and is like, 
oh. He may he literally like cannot control his face. He sees the container and he's like, oh, oh I see. Yeah, yeah. And Benjamin Cyrus is like, you can go if you want. You don't have to stay here. And Reed's like, I think I'll stay. Like someone needs to tell your story. And then Cyrus kneels down and starts pulling out like TNT. Like sticks like of dynamite. Like old ass looking TNT too. Full like sticks this of is dynamite. some fucking Looney Tunes ass bullshit. That is like handmade sticks of dynamite. Yeah. This is the shit they were using on Lost. Do you remember <laughs> season one of Lost? I did not watch Lost. They found this old, it was like in season one, I think, they found this old ass pirate ship that had like the world's oldest TNT <laughs> on it. And the reason I mentioned this is because number one, it looked the exact same. It was the old ass sticks of TNT, but oh also because God. one guy grabbed a stick and like moved it too suddenly and then fucking exploded. Oh my God. So I'm like, this is like the, this is the old ass shit they were using on Lost. That's Fucking hilarious. Okay. Da, 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 da. Jessica's mom comes back to bring Emily water. I think her name is Carrie. Brings Emily water. And Emily is like, Cyrus is planning a mass suicide. I know you made the call. Let's go. Her name is Kathy, by the way. Isn't what? It's Kathy. Kathy. Uh, she's like, Cyrus is going to blow everybody up. <laughs> we got to go. And the mom is like, no. Well, the mom is like, why are you telling me this? And Emily's like, because I, I have faith in you. I believe in you. And the mom says that there were others, other girls, but basically they got too old for him. And now Jessica is his wife. And the mom is like, I need to get her out before she gets too old and something happens to her. So Emily is like, the FBI is coming at 3 a.m. And the mom's like, no, 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 no. And, the, and Emily's like, get the kids to the basement. Let's go. And the mom's like, no, no. And she leaves. And Emily's face is literally like, oh, fuck. Like. Yeah. She's like, now I'm really going to fucking die. Yeah. She's like, I, I told somebody I shouldn't have said anything. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, God. But it's fine. It's nighttime now. Hodge says, I know that I can't go in there. And I like that we finally see Hodge being like, I'm in charge. I can't get blown up. I'll stay here. He's like, I can't hear anything. <laughs> right. So Rossi's going to go in. And Hotch is like, I can't live with myself if something happens to them. And Rossi's like, you're not alone. Like, we all will. Old men. You know, yeah. Old Le men who care about their family so deeply. <laughs> Can I say something? Later, when everyone is like out, Hotch goes, I think all the kids are out. And But in the background, it's like Emily going over to Reed and Derek. And in my head, Rotch was Rotch, uh, Hotch was like calling... Uh, Emily, Derek, and Rita's kids being like, I think the kids all got out. <laughs> For a second, I was like, yeah. that's cute. And I was like, wait, no, he means like the children. <laughs> okay. So the mom is like walking around. Kathy is walking around. And she sees the bombs being set up. And she's like, oh shit. Like, Emily was telling the truth. Cyrus is doing bomb stuff while Reed watches him. FBI people are getting their vests on. Emily's just sitting alone in that room. And, like, that must be the worst part. Like, she has, like, no idea what is happening. Yeah. She literally just has to wait. And that sucks ass. And then Kathy wakes up her daughter. And you're like, oh, she's doing the right thing. Great. The mom comes in to get Emily. And she says, oh, she's the one who's like, it's a bomb. I saw them setting up the bombs. I told Jessica that Cyrus wanted her to gather all the women and children. And so she takes Emily, too. It's 2.45. Boom, 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 boom. Great. 
Cole comes into the chapter and gets Benjamin Cyrus and is like, you have to look outside. He does. He sees the cars and he's like, they lied to us. But he's not going to blow things up yet. He's going to wait until they get closer. And then he goes outside and he starts firing off his gun into the air. He's like, I want the press to be watching my moment of faith. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. His moment, his little like Rambo ass moment where he just walks outside and just fucking fires a gun. Stupid. Man ass move. Can I say? Yes. Honestly, he's a man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we see Emily beating all the kids out, whatever. Okay, a flash grenade goes off, I think, in the bunker. They surprise a guard. And upstairs, Colin, Benjamin, Cyrus are like, that came from inside the building. Let's go check the fuses. Okay. Derek is in the bunker with the FBI people. They're getting the kids and stuff out. And Emily's like, I'm not going to leave until we get Reed. Hello. And but then Jessica realizes this wasn't Cyrus's idea. And she manages to like get past her mom and out of the bunker before they stop the mom. And Emily finally is like, okay, fine, we'll go out. Reed is like quoting scripture at Cyrus and being I wrote and being super annoying. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, why do you think this would work? I like when plot points are just like, let Reed do his annoying Reed thing. And that's like the 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 thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And Cyrus points his gun at Reed and like hits him. And I wrote Reed's out of his depth. Like this is where Reed is like, he has reached the limit of what he can do. You know, he doesn't know how to handle anything now, which is like completely understandable. And we see the FBI defusing a lot of the bombs. Like they basically do all the ones that are under, but obviously they can't go in the chapel yet. And this is where Cyrus is all like, if God wanted to, God could have stopped me. And Derek shoots him, and it's like, he just did. And then Reed... Am- Such a raw That's line. Raw. Yeah. I like that Reed was like, he didn't like my Bible verses. God just told you, bitch. Like, <laughs> I love it. Reed immediately asks about Emily. And then Jessica shows up. I love this, like, slow-mo, like, delayed movement thing where Jessica, like sees what's happening, she sees the controller, sees that Cyrus is dead and is like, I have to complete his work. Yeah. And like the image of her just standing there with the controller. It's like, oh God. And then Reed is like, run! (laughs) I love it. And then we cut back to the news report from earlier with, right, with the explosion in the compound and like, this is that moment. You know, we see everyone kind of running around outside in the smoke and Emily and Ross, okay, okay. Emily goes, Reed, Morgan, Morgan. <laughs> and I was like, she's so. She's so. <laughs> like the way Derek, you could write a whole Emily fic about this. The way Derek like couldn't you listen. Could. Derek couldn't listen to Emily being hurt. And then at the end, Emily is like, Reed, Morgan, Morgan, where is he? You know, I'm just saying. And then we see Reed Morgan come stumbling out of the building. Not gonna kill them, duh. Okay, Emily goes over and hugs Reed and then just starts like full body sobbing. They're so special to me. <laughs> they are siblings. They are so special to me. This is kind of the beginning of their friendship that'll be really close for the rest of the show. They're kind of besties in my heart, actually. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting where we started with Emily and Reed. Oh, really? In the two months you've known me? Right? And now it's like, 
asking after each other, like feeling really close. Like I, oh. She agreed to take a beating and maybe die for him. She, like she didn't agree to take a b- beating. She agreed to take a bullet to the head. It just happened to only be a beating. Yeah. Just like yeah. And then Kathy is like, "Where's Jessica?" And you just like, "No." Right. Yeah. And Emily just like walks over and she like moves her mouth to speak and she like has nothing to say. It's like the mom literally did all of this for Jessica. And then in the end, Jessica like killed herself. I mean, I know that ultimately, right, it's Cyrus that killed Jessica, but like, you know, if they could have just gotten her out of the building, so difficult, so hard. Yeah. Yeah, we're on the plane. Oh, Emily quotes Ayn Rand, which is dog Why shit. does Emily quote? This episode is so good. And then they're like, what if we quoted one of the worst objectivists in history? What if we quote one of the worst people of all time, Ayn Rand? What if we quoted the bitch who inspired Bioshock? Like, come on. Be uh, so serious right now. She's not even a libertarian. She's not even a libertarian. No, she's a she's like, a piece of shit is what she is. If you don't know, Ayn Rand wrote Atlas Shrugged. The worst thing in the world is that that's such a bomb-ass book title for the worst book oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. ever. And if you don't know what objectivism is, objectivism is basically like everybody should only worry about themselves. So she described the essence of objectivism as the concept of man as a heroic being with his own happiness as the moral purpose of his life with productive achievement as his noblest activity and reason as his only absolute. Basically meaning like, don't do anything to help other people. Ever. (laughs) If you're me, and your point of reference for objectivism comes from early 2000s video games, it's Bioshock. It is. What if we got everybody, what if we got all the big capitalists to make an underwater city and then we were bad at it because we only gave a shit about ourselves? Literally. Hmm? What she then? she like loved capitalism, hated big fan of capitalism, hated any sort of federal aid, welfare, social security, all of that. Um, hate didn't she also didn't she also hate the trains because they were nationalized or something like that? Probably. <laughs> I seem to remember her either really hating or really loving trains. I can't remember which. I I'm erring on the side of hating because she just seems insufferable like that. Yeah, I feel like trains are a symbol are like a nationalism. She also wrote the Fountainhead. She sucks. She sucks so bad. Yeah. Again, unfortunately, the thing is that Atlas Shrugged is possibly the coolest book title of all time. Yeah. Like, sorry, for real? Atlas Shrugged? Come on. Terrible. Um, But it is an objectively fucking terrible book because objectivism is a bullshit philosophy yeah. that only sees value in children because they can maybe later be useful somehow. It's like, it's so fucked up. Absolutely. I, he sucks donkey dicks. So much ass. And why <laughs> Emily quotes Ayn <laughs> Why would she quote Ayn Rand? Sorry, Emily does that? Come on. I know. Be like so for all right now. people. Ugh. Like, I could see, unfortunately, I could see, like, Hotch or Rossi quoting. Sure. Anne Rand. Emily? Emily? <laughs> A little lesbian? Emily the little lesbian? Yeah. She rejected the labels conservative and libertarian, but she has had a con- 
continuing influence on right-wing politics and libertarianism. She's considered one of the three most important women in the early development of modern American libertarianism. It is said that without her, it would not exist. Libertarianism. Okay, great. I hate her. Fuck Anne Rand. She was also super addicted to Adderall. Fun fact. (laughs) (laughs) Just fun fact. Some of the greatest minds in our time were really addicted to Adderall. Yeah. You, me, Anne Rand. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're on the plane. Ew, Emily Coltsine Rand. She comes out of the back swing. She's truly wearing like sweats, a hoodie. She looks very adorable and comfy, but still, again, beaten after death. She sits across from Reed. And he won't look at her. He's reading. So she lowers his book. And she's like, I need you to know that this, like, this wasn't your fault. I decided to do this. And he doesn't say anything, but he does like this little mouth twitch that like is like, yeah, he understands. And she's just like holding his hands. And she's like, thank you. And then he goes back to reading and he smiles at her and she smiles back. And I like this little autism read moment. I like them. Yeah, I like that she can read him when he's like being nonverbal and like not looking at him. She's like, I get it. Thanks. I like it. It's so good. It's so good. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I'm not about to <laughs> rate this episode anything other than 10 out of 10. 10 out of like, 10. Top five episodes come to mind. Oh, easy. One and two. Easily top 10. One and two, this or seven seconds. I put this at one, so it's like two. Really? Yeah, I just, I like all of the references that were made in this. I like how they did a lot of research and it was correct. I like... The BAU, the stakes of having BAU characters. I like all the Emily stuff. I like the Ro- I like Rossi and Spencer in this episode. Okay. <laughs> yeah, truly, it's a miracle. I I think I'm gonna go seven seconds at number one. Okay. Why? Because I seven seconds feels more like a locked house murder mystery, and I like locked house murder mysteries. You do like those? That's true. I am not a research boy. <laughs> I do not really care if they are referencing something correctly. I am purely a vibes-based specimen. Fair truly enough. just a vibes-based little guy. You really are. That's fine. What a fucking episode. What a fucking episode. What an episode of all time. Truly an episode of all time. Wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. No final thoughts. We've talked about it all. <laughs> I really I really don't have final thoughts right now, actually. Like, it's just, it's one of those episodes where it's just one of the best episodes of Criminal Minds, and you don't have much to say about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's just good. This is like me trying to talk about my favorite episodes of fucking uh, Person of Interest, where I'm just like, it's just really good. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me, it's just really good. If then else, it's just one of the best episodes of TV of all time ever. It's Trust me on it, though. Why is it good? Don't even worry about it. Just trust me on it. Don't even worry about it. I love it. I'm excited. Okay. Uh, They didn't say wheels up, unfortunately. No, unfortunately. Uh, And God and the Devil was not real in this one. I think God's real. In this episode? If God wanted to stop me, he would. <laughs> he just did. But also, those are the actions of people. I guess. Yeah, okay. Sorry for being like an annoying little atheist on Maine, but like, 
That no. was not the will of God. That was Derek Morgan coming in and shooting you in the chest. What if I worship like, Derek Morgan? Like I understand you can that? feel like there is a higher power or plan for everything. Right. But also that moment was just Derek Morgan shooting a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next week, season four, episode four, Ugh. Paradise, mm. uh, the Will Wheaton episode. I remember nothing about this episode other than Will Wheaton is the guy. Will Wheaton's there. That's the most memorable thing about this episode, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's really, yeah, there is nothing very memorable about this episode. I really like that we go from the high of mayhem to the low of Angel Maker to the, the extreme high of minimal loss. Plunging and then we're just down. like, we're just going to be sort of like doing a cool down period for a while because we have Paradise catching out the Instincts Memoriam. And then we get a weird, really good episode with Masterpiece. And yeah. then we're like, 52 pickup. And yes. then we're like, anyway. And then we'll just like kind of chill until Demonology and Omnivore, <laughs> I guess. Like, <laughs> I guess. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. It's going to be a good season. I'm very excited. Why are you saying it's going to be a good season? We're already three episodes in. <laughs> I know. I'm just also... It's 25 episodes long, though. We're like a fifth yeah. of the way, I guess. And no. we're pre-recording a bunch of these, so... 25. Three over 20. We're like an eighth of the way through. We got a lot. We got a lot to cover. And boy, howdy, are we going to. Starting next week with Paradise. You can find us anywhere on... When you, anyway you get your podcasts at Wheels Up Pod. You can also find us anywhere you find your socials at Wheels Up Pod as well. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. James, do you have an ending quote for me, bestie? I do. Me watching season one. I can take it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come in, I can take it.